Let's pray. Father God, we give to you tonight. Thank you for the music of worship that brings us before your throne. Lord, we thank you for prayer that brings us boldly before your throne. We thank you for your word from which you speak to us that brings us before your throne. May these all be acts of worship given to you in praise. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Flip open to Psalms chapter 15. Psalm 15, let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, He who does these things shall never be moved. The reading of God's Word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. I read this psalm uh, in in preparing for this, and and I thought, that's awful. That's terrible. That's really bad news right there. Have you ever tried to smell the color nine? That's what this psalm feels like, doesn't it? This is ridiculous. This is impossible. We have before us a person who doesn't exist on this earth. And in verse 1, look with me at verse 1. It says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And it's not asked mockingly. It's stated as a legitimate question that expects a legitimate answer. There is a kind of person who can dwell with God. And if we want to dwell with God ourselves, we need to know who who is that kind of person? What is this kind of person? What do they look like? Verse 2, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. The, the blameless and upright down to their heart. Not, not just those who, who say the right things or religiously do the right things, but even the thoughts of their heart are true, pure, blameless, and upright. They neither commit sins of commission or omission. There are things that we are not to do, but there's also things that we ought to be doing, aren't there? That unfortunately we, we frequently omit from our walk with Christ. Sins of omission be not doing that, the, the things that we should have done. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows 
the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Knowing the right thing to do and just choosing not to do it, maybe not to do anything, right or wrong, just not do it. If we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, for us it is then sin. Sometimes we don't do anything to hurt the body of Christ, but we don't really do much to encourage it either. A famous sin of omission, we find it in in Hebrews 10.25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, When the author of Hebrews wrote that, he was saying, don't neglect to meet together, to get together, to, to encourage one another, to stir one another up. While there were those who were simply omitting that from their lives. I don't have to go. I don't, I don't have to be a part of the family today. I can just sit at home and turn on the football game. There are things that we know are right to do, and we simply omit them. Then there's sins of commission, things that we shouldn't do, and here we find ourselves doing them. In the New Testament, you'll find all these lists. They're they're really interesting lists if you look at them carefully. Uh, We find one of them in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. He says, "...put to death, therefore..." What is earthly in you? And he lists these big things, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Those don't seem as major either. And yet he lumps those right in with those big ones, doesn't he? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So it's not just the big things like sexual immorality that we need to put off, but but the things like ungodly moments of anger, when that person just cuts you off, inordinately angry at them. You think, ah, if you would just swerve a little further and hit that tree. Oh. Right? If we look at those, those various lists of sin in the New Testament books, it's, it's really interesting the things you find there that we need to, to put off. The Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, part of God's moral law that does not change. I know we've gone through that list in here before. Have no other gods. Put nothing before God in your life. Have no physical idols, representations of God. Do not take the name of God in vain. Don't let that name of God fall off your lips foolishly or or carelessly. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder, or as Jesus clarified, even hate your brother. Do not commit adultery, or as Jesus clarified, 
even visually lust after someone else. Do not steal that paperclip from the office. Do not lie. I never took a paperclip. What are you talking about? Do not covet the, the desire for something that somebody else has, a desire that drives you. The one who can dwell with God is the one who is not doing the wrong things and not avoiding the right things to do on the outside or the inside, in action or in thought. Wow. You can count me out now. Um, But this is kind of like one of those Ginsu commercials. But wait, there's more, right? Verse 3. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend? Does not slander, does no evil to his neighbor, takes no approach to a friend. One whose walk with God is reflected in their love for others. The one who realizes and lives out the fact that I can't say I love God and not love people. I can't say that I love the Lord and not pour that love out upon the family of Christ here in this room. James chapter 3 reminds us the deadliness of the tongue. As in our passage it says, who does not slander with his tongue. James chapter 3 says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. There's a contradiction in our lives when we begin to believe that I can have one without the other. I can have a relationship with God without really fulfilling it in my relationships with others. God doesn't allow for it. God does not allow for that contradiction in our lives. If we are to be those who dwell with him, who can, who can abide in his tent forever. He reminds us of the, the golden rule, the, the great laws in Matthew 22. Starting at verse 34 to 40, it says, But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, goes right with it. 
hand in hand. You can't separate these two. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Every last word hinges on those two things. Love the Lord and love one another. Our earthly relationships are a direct reflection of our our walk with God, our relationship with the Lord. How are you doing in this? Is your relationship with God being reflected upon the people around you? Are we putting our love for God on display through how we love, how we forgive, how we encourage, and how we provide for the people that he created in his own image? How we talk with them, how we talk about them. This is the person who can dwell with the Lord. Has it gotten encouraging yet? Verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. They despise the vile person and honor the one who fears the Lord. So the person who can stand in God's presence does not associate their own character, their own person, with those who willingly and high-handedly sin against God, openly, unashamedly. It's not that we should live apart from the world and, and hide ourselves away like monks in a monastery, segregated, set apart physically, no longer in touch with the world. It's not that, but it's, it's that we should not look up to them. How are we supposed to share the gospel with the world unless we're here amongst it, right? But while we're here among the people of the world, we should not look up to them like that's who I want to be like. We should not honor them in our lives. They are not cool. They are not heroes. They are not mentors. When we look at them, we should not see someone to be admired or imitated. We should see someone who is to be pitied, whose behavior is to be despised, whose behavior against their creator is disgusting to us because it's disgusting to him. It's dishonoring to him. We do not honor those who stand for evil, but we honor those who fear God. Those who fear God are the ones who are to be admired and exemplified. We are to lift them up as an example for others to see. Give to them of our hearts and, and our minds and our time and our things. We want to we wanna be like those who fear the Lord. We want to walk like them because we know we want to walk with God. And yet, how often in our society do we exalt the vile and shame the God-fearing? Who's on television? Are the Kardashians still on television? I don't know. I've been disconnected from television for a while here. 
They're filthy rich. And the world looks at them, watches their show, loves them. Holds them up as those to be followed after. Wear the perfumes that they make. Wear the clothes that they make. Give them your money. Be like these people who dishonor the Lord, who hate the things of God. These are the people that the world says, this is what you're supposed to admire and exemplify and be like. Look at what we've done to our superheroes. Superman isn't super anymore. We, we try to insert a little bit of evil into our superheroes these days and say, this is good, this is okay. Let's make them more like uh, fallen men and, and say, it's all right because they're like us. We don't lift up a great view of what a, a person should be to be a superhero. We, we make them a little less good and we say, it's okay. We say, it is good. When our superheroes become characters like Deadpool, if you don't know who that is, praise God, our society is exalting and honoring evil and calling it good. Meanwhile, as a society, we mock God as we tear down crosses from different uh, memorials, as we remove Ten Commandments from courthouses. Even in our Christian culture, we've become loose on this as we desire to reach the world by looking like the world, by immersing ourselves in the culture. And we do it just for research, right? How can I know what they're going through unless I watch the same shows as they do? How can I know what they, how they're thinking unless I go to the same movies that they go to or whatever it might be? I'm picking on visual media right now. And we immerse ourselves in these things to reach them. It's not that hard to understand evil without immersing ourselves in it. We don't have to go there, but we do, don't we? The one who shall dwell with God swears to his own hurt and does not change, ready to endure the consequences of the truth without hedging without hemming and hawing, without trying to get away with a little something, no matter what those consequences might be, for the sake of someone else. The person who can stand before God does not seek to make a gain on the loss of others. Verse 5, one who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. We do not seek to make a gain on the, uh, on the loss of others, not for our own benefit. We don't seek our own benefit at someone else's loss. And, and if you want to see how casually our culture takes this idea, have you ever said, finders, keepers? Well, if you hadn't before, now you have. <laughs> One man's loss is... See? That's how casually we take it. We have all these adages all about that, right? Find a $20 bill on the ground. Ha! Their loss, my gain, right? The one who can dwell with God will not take advantage of another person's situation, no matter how small the slight might seem. How have you passed the, the Psalm 15 test? 
He who does these things, last statement of the psalm, he who does these things shall never be moved. Does this person exist? It's not me. I've been there. I've done that. No one on this earth looks like this, does this? Do do they? Who could ever qualify to live, to dwell with God on his holy hill? And and humanity attempts to live above ground, and and they say, instead of being grounded in the bad news that this really represents, uh, the bad news of their sinful condition, they say, I'm a good person. God will let me into heaven because I've done more right than wrong. That's not what this psalm is telling us. Who is the one who can dwell on God's holy hill? God makes it pretty clear who can dwell with him. The perfect, the absolutely perfect, who does no wrong and admit omits no wrong from their actions or their thought life in their hearts. That's ridiculous. That's impossible. Really, it is impossible for us, right? It's like trying to smell the color nine. Pretty bad news. This psalm is here to remind us of the impossibility of garnering our own salvation before a perfect and holy God. We would not and we could not. The good news is that while we were lost, while we were dead in the trespasses of our sin against God and man, Scripture uses two beautiful words, but God. Open up to Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm so glad you bring your Bibles and flip those pages. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't know the beauty of those two words, but God. We won't understand them until we realize, uh, until we are grounded in the bad news of the utter and total depravity of our sinful condition. See, here's God's picture of us apart from Christ. Psalm 14, 1 through 3, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. 
who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Even our good deeds would be corrupted by our self-centered needs to feel good about ourselves. We do good so we can feel good about ourselves apart from Christ. Isaiah 53, 6. The first part of it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Romans 3, 10 to 18. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's us. Aptly described by God in his word. Our condition, apart from Jesus, is dire. It's dangerous, and it is foul before God. However, in Christ, God has given us a righteousness that doesn't belong to us. He's given us a righteousness that is not our own. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Again, a righteousness, not our own. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See Psalm 15? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. If we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in our place, if we accept the free gift of salvation that is in Christ alone, Jesus Christ then superimposes that picture of himself upon those who trust in his name. He takes us And he wraps himself around you so that when God the Father looks upon you, what does he see? He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And we are hidden in him. That is good news. You are, in God's eyes, a Psalm 15 man or woman if you have accepted the sacrifice of Christ in your place. You are this picture of Psalm 15. God enables you to smell the color nine. He makes the impossible very possible for you and I. And that is something to praise God for. Isaiah 53, 6, the iniquity of us all has been laid upon his son. Jesus paid the price for our sins. 
God makes us like Christ. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, that's you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You are to be conformed to the image of his Son. You are to be Psalm 15 in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are made into the person described in this psalm. We are perfected. We are made perfect and yet being sanctified. Hebrews 10.14 reminds us that for by a single offering, he has perfected. That's all past tense. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You are being made more like Christ as you walk with him on this earth. And at the same time, it's a crazy thing to think about. You are perfect in the eyes of God. Because when God looks at you, he sees his son. When God looks at you, he sees Psalm 15. If you were to die in Christ tonight you'd be recognized by God as perfect before him. As we continue to walk this earth in Christ, we continue to be sanctified, tools in the hands of our Redeemer. You are he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. You are he who does these things and shall never be moved." Your salvation in Jesus Christ is absolutely secure. There is no better sacrifice on this earth. There's nothing better we can do. There's no way for us to, to gain a greater salvation than that which the Son of God has done on our behalf. Let's remember, if we ever go by Psalm 15 again, if we ever take the time to read this psalm, apart from Christ... Except for the mercy and grace of God, we are the ones to be despised, to be pitied and disgusted by. But in Christ, in our Savior, we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. We are forgiven sins past, present, and future. They are gone as nothing before the eyes of our Father in heaven. We will be able to abide with God because he will discard our sinful flesh and replace it with a body that is able to live in his holy presence. Got a little homework for you. Go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a beautiful description of how God will give us a new body that is able to dwell with him. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you for this picture you've given us in your word. This picture that we can't match up to in and of ourselves, but Lord, you've again given us some encouragement and some strength from your word as we see your son in this picture. And then we understand that you were going to uh, impose that picture upon us. You, you stamp us with a stamp of Christ. 
And that is good news, that while we still were your enemies, we still sin against you. You, Lord, wrap us in your righteousness that is not our own, and you make us into this picture. Lord, I pray that you would continue to sanctify us, that we would not lean solely upon the perfection that we have, but, Lord, we would continue to desire the the conformation to the image of your Son. Lord God, help us to walk with you more and more, day by day, to live this out, this picture that you have already made us into through your Son. We praise you tonight in his name. Amen.